Well, there are Christmas presents and Christmas parties. And how many of you as a family can pull off Christmas pajamas? Any of y'all ever do that? I feel like I'm looking at a family on the second row. Uh, Raymond, you can do that with those daughters and wife. If I suggested that my family of adult children pulled off Christmas pajamas, 25, 22, and 19 years of the reservoir of love and influence would be lost in just a vanish. We're just not a wear Christmas pajamas kind of family. There's Christmas outfits and Christmas ornaments and Christmas trees and Christmas lights and Christmas uh, greetings. Uh, there are, of course, Christmas songs. And what would it be like without Christmas songs? In fact, even a bigger, more macro panoramic question, what would the world be like without music and without song? Like we need song, we need music, this gift of God, which was around uh, before your world was ever made. There was a world that God made and the angelic host would praise the eternal God in music and song. Uh, this gift enters our ears uh, through the vibrations of sound waves and particles and it gets deep into these invisible connectors, these sensitive receptors, if you will, and gets deep into our soul. One poet said that uh, music hath the power, it has the charm to soothe the most savage beast. Have you ever seen a stubborn heart be yielded and grow soft and tender because of music. I've been to some college football games with some of y'all and with, you know, can you imagine your team comes out and there's no music to hype up your team. Some of y'all get crazy and crunk uh, when the music is played. Uh, it does that to us. I remember a wedding of a young couple that I married uh, just a few miles from here out in the reservoir, a couple here at our church and Lauren, they had all the songs. They had a song when I came out with the, with the groom and with the groomsmen and the bridesmaids and the flower girls and the ring bearers. But guess what? There were two musicians, two singers, and they, they didn't communicate. So when the bride comes out, no song. There was no song. How anticlimactic. I thought about cutting my microphone back on and singing Ed Sheeran or something like perfect, but I didn't know if that would enhance the mood or take away or showcase my incredible talent of, of singing. What would the world be like without song? Another poet one time said, hey, don't tell me a nation's laws. Uh, let, show me a nation and its songs. Songs have a way, and we know, if you're a follower of Jesus, we know that when we gather, I know churches fight over hymns and praise songs and stuff like that. If you like hymns, come join us a week from today. We're going to sing all hymns and have a time of reflection, a real special service. But uh, music is meant to unite us, and music for the Christian is meant for us to borrow uh, from the devoted writings of the writers of Scripture and the early church fathers and mothers and to take their passion and their devotion and sing it together and remind us that we're not alone, that there's something bigger than us, a God who loves us and who calls us to sing and to sing together. I think of the Apostle Paul in Acts 16 at Jailhouse Rock singing to get through. I think of the American slaves and the injustice thereof and singing in the fields to get through the grinding suffering and poverty of their plight. I think of the church when we sing and close our service in just a little bit and light our candles. We're not uh, we're not here being incredibly creative. You know that, right? In fact, it's so beautiful because think of the millions upon millions upon millions who are doing that, this along with us as we sing. Uh, there's a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It talks about King David, who was of the, of the line of Jesus a thousand years before the birth of our Messiah and the Christmas story. King David uh, played music. And it says in the 16th chapter that King David of 1 Samuel, that he made music and Saul. Uh, heard this music that David played on the harp. And listen, it says in chapter 16 and verse 23 that he heard it and it made him well. It refreshed him and the distressing spirit left him. Thousands of years ago, what was written in the Bible, we can see today, it's called, there's a whole branch called music therapy. And it, it helps alleviate and meet people in their pain and anxiety 
and depression, when they have physical or emotional or mental handicaps, or they have some cognitive uh, disorder, some neurological disorder, this whole branch of music theory, there's been examples of people being well and refreshed and a distressing spirit leaving them. Even examples, numerous examples of men and women who could not walk, who couldn't even talk, but were able to sing. There's something special about songs. And isn't there something special about the old songs? Can I hear it from the old people in the room? Don't you like, don't you like the old songs? And uh, let's put up the years that three of these carols, I've selected three tonight, and I want to give you the year that they were written in. O Little Town of Bethlehem was written in 1868. A Silent Night was written in 1818. And Joy to the World was written in the 17th century, the early part. 1719, this was written. These songs of old that have chimed through the years and the years and the years that have special meaning to so many of us. But it begs the question, hey, what was the first Christmas carol? When was it written? And I've pulled together some learning from some historians and some scholars and theological scholars. And I want to assert to you, I subscribe to a theory. I would love for you to fact check me and research it on your own. But the first Christmas Carol, the first song of Christmas beyond the Luke 2 story is found in the ancient Mediterranean world of the first century, some 50 to 60 years after the birth of Jesus in a town called Philippi. If you're looking at a map, because this is a sermonette, not a sermon, I won't put up a map, but uh, there's Bethlehem, the birth of Jesus, six miles outside of Jerusalem. And then all the way over across the Mediterranean world, there's this community called Philippi. And in it, uh, Paul writes, he writes to them, and as he's writing, he, all of a sudden, um, the linguistics people, the people who study the Greek New Testament say that Paul changes his tone, and he's likely quoting himself in Philippians chapter 2 from some earlier writers at the time of Jesus who penned a Christmas carol. And this is the outline. Again, since this isn't a full sermon, let me put it up. And then if you look at these three points from Philippians chapter 2, the first carol, God, here's what he's saying, God in human form. Emmanuel, that's our word, Emmanuel, God God in human form, gave up everything, arriving as a servant. A seminary professor once told our class, I'll never forget, he had a brilliant mind but a soft heart, and his soft heart really came out when he said this. He said, if God was just God, he wouldn't understand us. If God, if God was just God, he could help us, but he wouldn't understand us. If God was just a man, he would understand us, but he couldn't help us. And so we see God in human form. Hey, people, brothers and sisters, God understands. The story of Christmas, God understands. And let me tell you, as a pastor, I get to hear from you. And this time of year can be the most joyous and it can be the most difficult. And whatever you're going through, listen, it doesn't go away this time of year. I know some of you will carry something with you to bed tonight. And after you've celebrated, after you've worshiped at church and gathered with loved ones and feasted and talked about tomorrow, you'll go to bed and whether you're sleeping with somebody or not, you'll, you'll go to, and you'll be alone with your thoughts. And it doesn't just disappear because it's December 24th, about to be December 25th. And so to someone who's hurting, who's under the crushing weight of a stressful situation or a big vexing problem, listen, he understands, he understands you and he's able to help you. God in human form, gave up everything, and he, he arrived as a servant, as a servant. And so, this was known by scholars as uh, the Carmen Christios or the Ecnesius 
a hymnal that was borrowed that Paul wrote and he changes the tune. But before verses six and seven of Philippians chapter two of how God arrived and arrived as a servant and was born among us, so Emmanuel, before that, before verses six and seven, there's verses four and five. And to some verses four and five up, it simply put this way, we have that on the screen as well. He goes through this letter, these passages, and the essence is this, think like Jesus thought. Hey, this Christmas, can I challenge you to think like Jesus thought? And man, there's a world longing for it. The person you're sitting next to would be better for it if you could think like Jesus thought. You know, I don't do that very well sometimes. And that's why I'm glad we're coming to the table in just a couple of minutes because he's forgiven. He forgives and he restores and gives us the twin gifts of confession and repentance. That's the gift God gives us. But we, because God came in human form and gave up everything, he arrived as a servant, we're called to think like Jesus thought. Now, why would Paul write to those at Philippi and give them a Christmas song? Can I tell you why? He wrote to them because, you ready for this? I'm not sure you're ready. The room temperature is about to go up. He wrote to them and gave them this first Christmas song because they were arguing and they were complaining. Anybody ever complain? They were arguing and they're complaining. And so the answer is to think like Jesus thought. Can I tell you, I got in an argument this week with someone I really love. Uh, this person may or may not have been sitting on the front row at the 2.30 service today. But I got in an argument and I thought, I, I mean, looking back just on a few days, I think I won the argument. This person thinks they won the argument. I may reopen the argument just to prove to them that I won the argument. But listen, that's so easy for me to do and it's so easy to complain. But when I'm thinking like Jesus thought, when I realize there's a God who understands me, whatever I'm going through, and he's here to help me, can I tell you that a lot of my arguments and a lot of my complaining just dissipates when I learn to think like Jesus thinks. And so for Christmas, I want to challenge you on the eve of this Christmas day and this Christmas season, and maybe even being a springboard to the rest of your, uh, rest of your year and into next year, uh, to think like Jesus thought, what could this do for you? I'll tell you from personal experience, when you begin to think like Jesus thinks, like Jesus thought, it can change a lot of things. It means that you text someone who may be thinking right now that they're forgotten and you let them know that you remember them. It might be inviting someone who gets left out a lot, who doesn't feel welcome. It could be visiting someone who doesn't really get to get out a lot. There was someone in our first service. Her name is Amy. She's been a longtime friend of Susan and I and new to our church. And she's inviting us to go to the Harmony Nursing Home to bring the church van and pick up some of these sweet ladies and bring them to church. Because do you realize how many people go visit somebody at a nursing home? Do you realize how many people are at these homes who never have someone come and visit them? And when we think like Jesus, we're welcoming and texting and inviting and we're spending time and we're surrendering. We're making sacrifices and giving things up. And this is the hardest thing. But I just want to say by word, a personal testimony to my brothers and sisters tonight is that there have been many, many times when Jesus has invited me and through Holy Spirit conviction has brought into my life, hey, Robert, you can choose this or you can choose me. You can choose this or you can choose something, I drift and my heart, which is deceitfully wicked, moves away from my Savior. And I begin to think my kind of thoughts and I live toward my kingdom. And all of a sudden, uh, God is calling me to give something up. I have something, a possession, a grudge, 
or an aspect of my reputation that I'm not willing to give up. And Jesus comes to me in the form of his spirit and says, hey, give that up. You choose. And here's what I found out. I want to submit to this, uh, submit this to you today. What seems like a great sacrifice when you do it becomes a great blessing. Because Jesus' promises are true. And Jesus brings life. And so this first Christmas carol, look, Old Little Town of Bethlehem, Silent Night, uh, all these songs, Joy to the World, written in the 1800s, the early 1700s. These are old Christmas carols to folks like you and I. But there was a first Christmas carol that says God came. God came in human form and gave up everything, arriving as a servant. And he calls us to think like he does. So, think about this. How many of you like to sing? How many of you love these Christmas carols? Let, let me ask it this way. How many of you are good singers? Let's just raise your hand if you're like, you're a really good singer. Lauren, look at, you see some over here? Yeah, we had, we had several men raise their hand in the 2.30 service. We signed them up for the men's choir that we're starting in 2024. But uh, some of you are, you know, you're not, you know, many of you are not going to raise your hand, but we got some good singers in here. But I want to share with you today on Christmas Eve that God is a singer and that the scripture records for us all three members of the Godhead sing. You ready? Zephaniah 317. God is a warrior and God is with you. God rejoices over you with gladness and he sings in you uh, with delight. He sings in you. That is a picture of our God. And hope how, oh, how far different that is from the self-judgment in your mind from the uh, unrelenting criticism and pressure that you feel from family or work, uh, to know that God loves you, that he loves you so much he delights, he rejoices over you with gladness and sings in you, delights in you with singing. This is our God, that's God the Father. In Matthew 26, 30, uh, before Jesus and the disciples, uh, at, at the end, before they went to the Mount of Olives, you know what it says they did? Before they went to the Mount of Olives, they what? They sang a hymn together. God the Father, God the Son, and I, I give to you Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. Not just the Christmas Spirit, but be filled with God's Spirit. To produce love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and self-control. Self -control, that's Galatians 5. But in Ephesians 5, he says that we're to submit to one another. By the way, you want to have a joyous Christmas season? Submit to the people in your household. Uh, there's no patriarchy. There's no hierarchy. Love and serve one another. Ephesians 5, if you read the whole chapter, it's a submission competition where we seek to outdo one another by going low like Jesus and thinking Christ's thoughts. But it says in Ephesians 5, back to God singing, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says that we sing to one another, submit to one another, and sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our heart to God. You know, there's two types of unfamiliar hymns. One is a, you sing, you hear a song that you've never heard before. I was riding with someone recently and they're like, they turned on a, a song really loud and like, man, you've never, I've never heard the song. You never heard the song. Oh my goodness. You know, turned it up. Uh, I'd never heard that song. There, that's a type of unfamiliar song. You've never heard it, but there's another type of unfamiliar song. It's a song you've sung tons and tons of times, but you never think about the words. And can I tell you that the greatest, listen to me, the great, especially some of you religious sorts, the greatest threat to Christmas is not secularism or consumerism. It's our own boredom with the most thrilling story ever told. And so my hope for you on Christmas Eve is this, that the old songs that will sing them, the old songs will become the new song. And I know it's common for us to be the church curmudgeon and fight over hymns versus praise songs. And y'all can have at it as much as you want to. But here's what the scripture says, that we sing a new song. 
that God does a new work. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5 says he wants to give you a new life. Uh, Ephesians 4, he wants to give you a new mind and a new spirit. Ezekiel uh, chapter 33, he wants to give you a new, uh, a new heart that's, that's made of flesh, not of stone. He wants to, he, he's making y'all a new heaven and a new earth that I want you to be a part of. I want everybody I love to be a part of that new heaven and that new earth. And the psalmist says that he's given us a new song. And so what if these old songs became new songs? What if we were thrilled again about the beauty of this story, which is what? What's the first one from Philippians 2? Many of you read Luke 2 before you uh, have dinner or go to bed tonight with your family. Add on Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, because I didn't do it full justice tonight. But God, in human form, gave up everything, arriving as a servant. So let us think like Jesus thought. This new song, he can create in us. He can make it fresh and he can make it new again. I want to ask you to stand with me and I'm going to give an invitation as we did at our earlier service today to follow the person in front of you. If you're a believer uh, in Jesus, we're engaging in a regular practice, some call it the Lord's Supper or they call it communion, where Jesus said, do this in remembrance uh, of me. Do this, remember that Jesus gave himself as a servant. He took the lowly position and he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And so as our, some of our leaders come to the front, I want to invite you to follow the person at the end of the aisle in just a moment and come up and just take the cup. You'll be given a cup with the bread and you'll be given a cup with the juice. Uh, take it back to your seat where you are. You don't want to leave. Take it back to your seat and then uh, just take a moment or two in your own timing. Think about the blood shed for you, the body broken for you, that you have a Savior who came, a God. He's not just a God who can help us but not understand us. He's not just a man who can understand us but not help us. He's a God who became man and he can understand us and he can help us no matter what you're going through. As a pastor, I get the privilege to be with so many of you to see the Lord fight on your behalf. And I just want to encourage you tonight, no matter what it is, he can help you and he understands you. That's the mindset that I bring to the cup as I come. If you're not a believer, uh, stay where you are. There's no judgment. No one's looking around or whispering. You better not be. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a time for, uh, it's a time for reverence and it's a time for, uh, for great joy. So follow the person and let's do this in remembrance of Jesus.